Hi everyone, welcome to HafaCast. My name is Rafael Morin and every episode here is an interview and we talk about design, development, work-life balance, expat life, mental health, history and other cool stuff. Welcome! First of all, super excited to be here with like one of the persons that I have been stalking for a long time in the Twitter. <laughs> Uh, Etienne is a Brazilian software engineer. Are you still live in London? Yes, I am currently stuck in London. I was planning to move out since um, after graduating from the master's. And, um, well, it wasn't possible because of COVID. So I'm waiting until the flights and, you know, the other countries accept people coming from the UK. But, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been crazy for people that are living in the UK, right? Um, yeah, um, it's there was like the new strain and then there was like a lot of mismanagement. Luckily, the, the vaccine schedule is going really well here. But in terms of dealing with the crisis, um, wasn't that good. Like the schools were open until like a week before Christmas. And then I don't know, I, I, I knew two teachers who spent Christmas uh, with COVID oh. because of that. So, <laughs> yeah, it was quite complicated here. And well, and because of the new strain, lots of countries are not accepting um, flights from anyone in the UK. And um, yeah, so I can't I can't go to mainland uh, mainland Europe right now, but maybe soon. Looks like it could open in some days, but I'm I'm not sure. It's they keep changing it all the time. So it was supposed to be allowed in February, then it moved to mid March, then it moved to end of March. Now end of March is here and they might move it again. It's all very uncertain. It's very hard to play in NFT. Yeah, I mean, but it's crazy because if you think like uh, UK is kind of receiving flights for other countries, right? I have no idea. But the thing is that normally the countries are making like distinctions between citizens and non-citizens, residents, non-residents. And, you know, if you're a tourist, you can't really go. Um, and the thing is, I'm not an, an European citizen, right? I have a visa for the UK only. Um, so it's it's very complicated. So Spain is only receiving citizens and residents. And Italy, I think, is the same. So yeah. um, some of the places we could go. Um, I, I'm not allowed to go because I'm, I'm not from there. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy because, like, uh, I mean, I don't know much about UK, but, I mean, Sweden actually has been more crazy, I would say. Like, people here are just ignoring the fact that COVID exists and there is no lockdown at all. Uh, there's few rules, but uh, I don't feel that it's like COVID, you know? Like, I was in Brazil when this started, and then people are like, oh my God, we're going to die and stuff like that. And here is just, I mean, yesterday I was running with friends. No one was using masks. Actually, no one in Sweden using masks. Like now there are, some people are using the subway, but it's just doesn't look like there's COVID cases, you know? Is it still like that? Jesus, I thought that had changed because, you know, I have heard that people in Sweden had like this approach like, oh yeah, some people are going to die, but you know, it's just life you know some people die it's okay yeah. and i was like oh my god what <laughs> the fuck like really? and <laughs> i don't know it, it felt like so weird yeah and 
I thought that um, this had changed with like the other countries like closing their borders uh, from Sweden or I don't know. I thought that it was like some epiphany and that things went in a different direction. But I I am surprised to know that it's still the same thing. I mean, to be fair with Swedes, uh, feels that they they have this self. Uh, they if they feel like that they are not if they they think that they are not feeling well, they stay home and lo- do the lockdown. They do the tests. But the thing is, COVID can be asymptomatic, and like uh, you can still you can still have the COVID and go and feel. I mean, you can feel good and still do things. So it's being, yeah. And then you talk with like, uh, yeah, it's just insane. I don't know how to put it in words. Compared to other places in the world, I don't know like if there's anything like Sweden. Uh, but uh, in the same way, it's good. Like <laughs> I basically don't feel locked down. I can like, now they actually created some rules. When I came here, did exist any rules? Like now it's like, but it's pretty stupid rules. Like it doesn't make any sense, but it's like, uh, if you go to the bar, cannot be more than four people in the table. So, but it's like, yeah, but it still can have like 30 people in the bar, you know? And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's just- more tables. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, <laughs> actually some people do that. They, they go like eight people and they sit close, you know, like they just like, okay, we cannot sit the same table together by eight, but we can sit like four here and four here. And they, they just like do that. And I'm like, what? This is not like, no. Problem solved. The virus will never notice. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, and now they create like some rules, like eight by eight, you know all the bars and restaurants are going to be closed but it's like yeah but everyone's like partying uh i remember i was walking these days uh and i do understand why switch like sun that much because uh i mean not they they like like a very intense sun but they when the sun comes is an event here because we don't see the sun for months so when the sun came last weekend everyone went to the street i never saw so many people you know like uh, people are like ah, the sun and they were walking like from like uh correct me by if i'm wrong but you're from rio as well right yes yeah, so they were walking like uh Cinelandia. like they're just like walking very close to each other and doing different stuff like nobody knew each other they just walking and i was like damn this is intense especially for covid scenario yeah it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's just insane, I would say. I, I I lost hope in humanity managing this well. So I kind of decided that I would try to go to a place where I feel good, like completely isolated from other people. Like I need a garden, I need sun, and I need a dog. Yeah. So that those are like my priorities. <laughs> you know, just like ignore yeah. people and make sure that I'm feeling Samuel, right? And I can protect myself and still like have some enjoyable time, like, you know, I don't know, something close to nature. Like, this is a problem for me right now. I'm in the middle of London and London is not very (laughs) nature like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, um, I don't know, like, the, 
I really miss living by the sea, for yeah. example. Okay, yeah. I, I would say come to Sweden, but by the sea is a little bit hard. No, I am done with cold weather. I already think London is too cold. And yeah. by European standards, London is warm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like a friend of mine came here and he was like a friend from Argentina, actually. He moved to Spain recently, but he was send out a message like, Dan, it's too cold. Like he sent like 12 uh, Celsius. And then I was like, hmm, that is not cold at all. Like try Sweden minus 15. And then, yeah, but it's just intense for, especially for me that comes from Rio. I don't know if I can make for more years. <laughs> yeah, no, I am not up for Sweden or any other <laughs> place yeah, that no. is as cold. I saw like a PhD program and um, it was very interesting. It was So like the, the, the subject was something that was interesting to me, but it was like in the Arctic University of Norway. It was something like that. I don't remember the name of the university, but it was like on the northmost city. So it was like proper North Pole. Oh my God. And I was like, Jesus, I, I I am morbidly curious about going there for a little bit. You know, I think I could go for like six months, you know, as yeah. you know, it's, it's a life experience, but like a PhD is three years. It's a very long life commitment. I am not going to do this like in a place that is in the literal North Pole. That seems like a very bad idea for me. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's interesting, but definitely not a place to, that I could commit to stay happy for. Yeah, for it's long. just insane. Yeah, I mean, but like, like besides the weather, uh, I can imagine that for you, uh, move for a different country should be easy because I mean, how many languages do you speak? Too many. No, I don't speak that many languages. I speak <laughs> a few. So there is Portuguese, there is English, um, and then I learned French. Then. So those are the three languages that I can speak fluently. Although French is not as fluent as as English, for example. Um, I reached fluency at some point. Um, while I was living in France, because I, I was doing university there, all of the courses were in French. It was just impossible to not learn yeah. um, at, at that level of, of immersion and, and need to use it. Um, but there isn't a lot of things that I do in French in my personal life uh, in terms of like watching movies or, you know, talking to friends on the Internet or... I don't know. It's I just don't have that much contact with French. And after I moved out of France, then that contact that contact went basically to zero. So I still listen to audiobooks in French from time to time, so just to make sure I'm like maintaining some of the language. But it's been um, almost five years since I don't live there anymore. Yeah, five years now. How long so have you lived there? I lived there for. Almost two years, like one year and seven months, eight months, something like that. Yeah. So I, I forgot a lot. It degraded since I I left France. Yeah, my dreams actually moved to France at some moment of my life and very addicted to French culture and French songs. Uh, just, I feel that is amazing. I mean, I feel that is amazing that you speak French. It's a very easy language to learn coming coming from Portuguese. Um, you can learn it very fast. It's not as 
trivial in terms of the like automatic learning as it would be with maybe Spanish or even maybe like Italian where yeah. you understand a lot from the go and then you kind of ease in into learning the rest like you you need classes you need structure to learn French first you can't just absorb it but given that um it goes really fast after you have um, a certain level. Because when yeah. you don't know a word, you can kind of try to say a word in Portuguese and throw in some French accent and then see if it sticks. Or, um, I don't know. Or even if something sounds like, um, sounds wrong to a French person, they might still understand you. Yeah. So there the were, I don't know, it, it, it goes fast. Like, it's not a language that takes forever to learn, which is what I'm finding with German. So I You're can learning speak... German? Yes, I can speak some German. I can entertain simple conversations, but I can't get in, um, you know, normal dialogue and discuss about life, the universe and everything else, or like understand everything that is said in, in German. Like, I, I will need to like ask for explanations a lot of the time um like my level like within the european scale is between b1 and b2 in german um so that is like somewhat conversational yeah but you know not still very far from fluent yeah but it still is pretty i mean i i have friends that live in germany and it seems very complicated language It is impossible. It's oh my god. I <laughs> I have I get very angry, very angry at it for like random reasons. Like there are many aspects of the language that are very confusing and that I really dislike. I'm like, oh my god, why did you invent it like this? This is such a <laughs> stupid decision. You know, of course it's not like a, a conscious decision. There is no one to blame. And you know, and the native speakers, it's you know. You know, for them, it's just the way it is and it's natural. You know, sometimes I am jealous. You know, you were born already, like, knowing this thing that is very complicated. Yeah. And now you don't have to do the effort. Like, <laughs> it's amazing. You know, if I could pick, like, a different language to be born with, like, if I could repick my na native language... I will pick like the hardest one. Yeah. Like, you know, some of like, I would pick like either like Arabic or Chinese. Yeah. Or, you know, and if like an European language, I'll probably pick German, I think. Um, you are learning Greek, right? Uh, now I'm coming to realize that. I think you tweeted one time about it. Yes. Uh, Greek is a more recent language um, that I started learning just to travel there well actually it was not for traveling there because if you're going for touristy areas everyone speaks english anyway but it was more like oh you know it's gonna be interesting to know some of the language yeah of the place that i am visiting right and it was going to be like a long trip so was, we were planning to spend one month so it seemed like interesting from the cultural perspective and worth it and i like learning languages so why not yeah talk about learning language Like, you created the Polyglots, which is a, your project, right? Yes. Polyglots came from my frustrations with German. 
um but also because i needed some help practicing um at a level that was lower than fluency or lower than conversational because i don't live in germany um you know i i spent some time in in germany but not enough to like learn it um yeah so i needed like some extra support and i looked for tools to help me um at my current stage and there wasn't anything like really appropriate for the place that i was in my in my journey so i was not longer beginning from scratch so something like duolingo was not useful for me anymore like already knew all of the basic words i had already you know completed duolingo in fact i have gone for all of its learning tree um yeah so you're really into learning languages yeah Yeah, I really like it. Um, But yeah, so I had, um, I was no longer a beginner, but at the same time, I couldn't really communicate. You know, I I could watch some series in German, for example, I could watch Dark and understand what's going on. But if anyone asked me anything, or I don't know, if I had to say anything, I would just freeze. I was not prepared to like produce language. So I knew that I had to practice and I had to, you know, practice practice being creative and expressing myself and creating output in in the language. But at the same time, I was still like very far from um, the language exchange app, sort of like Tandem or HelloTalk or, you know, all of the apps in those space where you find like a practicing partner and then you start a conversation and and you keep uh, that dialogue, right? Yeah. So first I was far from that stage. Like I couldn't, I didn't have enough vocabulary to like entertain a conversation uh, in German for a long period of time. Secondly, I find the design of those apps, it's like they already demand a big level of fluency for learning to be fluent, you know, Um, and they demand a lot of social skills. Because it's not just um, I need to speak good enough German to improve my German, but also I need to be very social and be able to keep up a conversation and enjoy talking to a stranger, which is hard even in my native language. Yeah. You know, it's not a language skill. It's a social skill. So it demands something very high of you in that area as well. I feel that way when I was trying to learn English. And then I, like you said, you said about being creative with the language and I think that was when I tried to do that, like expose myself with um, Americans when I was in the US. Like I felt that that was the moment that I really learned English, you know, Uh, because otherwise you just like you receive the conversation like someone is doing the input with you and then you just like then what I should say here. And then you take like a time to actually think what you're going to talk about. And that is that was a barrier for me for uh, one year, I guess. Uh, I, I was actually scared to talk with people because uh, I, I felt you feel so pressure, you know, like to do the right flow when you're talking with someone. And like, uh, and I can't remember, like sometimes I just got, got like like fever because I, I 
I don't know, I have a body condition that if I get a lot of stress, I get fever. And then I used to have fever in the end of the night just by being tired of trying to speak English. It was just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very exhausting. Yeah. And uh, another problem is finding the people to talk to, um, especially like if you're just like talking to random because you start talking to someone and then you go for like the basic questions, right? Oh, how are you? How was your weekend? What do you work with? Um, or what do you study? Um, you know, yeah. where do you live? Uh, yeah. And the thing is... At, Then the conversation dies, and then you have to find a new person. And when you find a new person, you're going to talk about the exact same thing. It always yeah. starts with, how are you? Uh, what do you work with? You know, it's very repetitive and not really helping to practice. You like Unless you yeah. really find someone that you stay talking with that one person for a long time, it just never evolves from there. Yeah. And then another problem was guys hitting on women thinking it's a dating app. So oh, it's, that, happened, that happened in Europe. That happened in uh, language exchange apps. Oh gosh. So yeah. not polyglots. Yeah. So I had so I had this problem where the apps were either too difficult and too demanding or they were too easy. Yeah. And there was nothing in between. There was nothing that felt like it was um adapted to my current needs and that's that's where polygloss came in basically as a sort of a bridge between the stage of basic vocabulary and the stage of being conversational so if i was gonna put it in a um cfr scale which is the the proficient the european proficiency scale i would put it for h2 and b1 which is like this this stages after full beginner but before being conversational and the idea with with polyglots is that it's an image guessing game um played between two players so you have to write something about the image in a set of four and you have one image that is your image and you have to talk about it and the other person has to guess the correct image And the thing is, this is very stress-free. You can practice a wide range of topics because you have a, a wide selection of images. You don't have to worry about finding a specific partner that you are closely engaging with. You can switch uh, the partners without going back to the same conversations. Um, you don't have to worry that much about performance you're focused on meaning so as long as the other person understands which image you're talking about they can pick the correct one so it's a very um stress-free guided communication which is yeah. something that you know in in a language classroom the teachers are gonna do that with you right they are gonna elicit something from you but if you're studying by yourself if you're just using other apps um this is something that people rarely put the time in to practice it's very easy to forget to practice output if you're studying by yourself but it's really important yeah i mean is like you said that i i do have problems with apps because or it's too easy or i feel that goes for a wrong way you know like uh, i try to learn japanese i actually know uh very basic japanese but i try to learn japanese by some apps and like uh 
I tried, uh, what was the memo? I forgot the other one. There is one that is... Memorize? Yeah. So it was super simple. And then Duolingo came with Japanese later. It was very simple. And I tried actually one uh, one thing that was more like uh, you talk with Japanese people and then they practice the English with you. And uh, I don't know, felt kind of... Didn't feel like... Oh, you know, just like I kind of, yeah, it didn't happen for me and my friends. Actually, I was with other friend that was trying as well. I don't know if the format of the course was a little bit wrong, but like the conversation was just not fluid. It was just like you were talking uh, right now, like was just like, how are you? Very well. Uh, what do you do? I'm a programmer. Cool. And then the person changed it the next week, you know, so was pretty, was a Japanese there probably would never use besides try to get like help in Japan. Uh, and yeah, I, I kind of gave up after one month, I guess. Yeah, there's just a huge gap between those two stages. You know, you know, there's something called the intermediate. Not, yeah. so you have like the A, like you can speak an A1 and A2 level. There's B1 and B2 and there's C1 and C2. And, you know, from like... Uh, uh, um, a1 to like a B2 or to a C1, there is like so much in between. And most of the basic uh, courses uh, of Duolingo and other apps, they are not going to take you to like B2, which is where you can speak with other people. They're going to finish on like A1 or A2 at best. And then you have like very little support for like B1 and um, like you can't, you are not really prepared to join a full conversation at that stage, but you do need some practice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's that's the space, that's the void I'm trying to fill with polyglots. Yeah, is actually, I mean, I'm gonna, after the we record, I'm gonna drop the link there. And yeah, uh, but I just wanted to actually say one thing that you probably don't know, but you actually wanna, you are actually one of, the biggest reasons that I try to speak conferences outside of Brazil, I was, really? yeah, I mean, I was, I don't know when that was hap that happened, but maybe it was four years or three years ago. And then uh, saw your, your talk in the JS Conf, I think so. And oh. I was like, maybe, maybe, I mean, your name, first name is not, that is not that popular in Brazil. And I thought like, okay, maybe she's not Brazilian. And it was like, damn, she's Brazilian. She's speaking English here and like she's kicking some ass. And I was like, damn, that, you know, that created me, create, created so much energy on me, like to just give a shot on learn English and go outside and speak in other countries. So I really appreciate that. Have you already thought about that? Like how you can influence other people, especially women, like in technology? Well, this is a very... Touchy subject because um, I'm always surprised when I hear something like what you just said. I don't know. I just. Um, yeah, I mean, I wanted to have you in the podcast, especially. I mean, everyone that I bring in the podcast is, I have a different reason, like personal reason. But uh, yours was basically mostly one because a lot of, we have a lot of friends in common. They always say good stuff about you. But, uh, but that, that was a, a, like a, 
Yeah, that kind of was very important for me, like in the way that I remember clearly it was two people that like motivated me to speak. First one was Guilherme Medeiros, was 2013. I, was, I saw a, a video of him speaking the Brazil JS and I was like, damn, I want you to do that. And yours was basically the same. I, I saw a, a Brazilian like, yeah, I am here, speaking English. Everyone's understanding like it, this is possible. In the time I didn't speak English. And I was like, all right, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then that kind of changed my career. Like I wouldn't, I mean, I would not never go, probably I would never focus so much in work for GoDaddy, Spotify, if I did a watch or talk or something like that. Oh, wow. That's, it's, that's, that's another, because, you know, I see you kicking ass all the time and I'm like, you know, I really admire you. So when you say that you admire me, I'm like, oh my God. No, I mean, I, I admire really you. I'm surprised. <laughs> No, I admire you more than you do with me. I mean, you basically like turned the key for me in my career. So I really appreciate that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I never think those things happen. I, you know, I, I, I do my things and I'm always surprised when someone is like, you know, really admiring it because I, I'm a big, big, big self-critic. Yeah. I'm really, really insecure. I just go and do things anyway because those those are things I want to do. But I, in my mind, they're all it's always crap. Like everything is bad and it didn't work well. And everyone is like, "What are you talking about?" It was nice. I liked it. Um, but in my head, it's always awful. And it's something, it's a feeling I try to shake. And I can't. I tried everything, but I can't shake that feeling. And at, at some point, um, it drives people mad. Like, they get angry at me. Like Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I do understand that. Like, I, I remember watching your talk. It's still one of my favorite talks like, that I watched. Like, and then when you say, like, no, it's not good. I was like, no. <laughs> That was very good. That was like, damn. Yeah, but it's just like an internal feeling that I can't get rid of. Yeah, I would yeah. love to get rid of this feeling. <laughs> but it stays it, it stays there. And and people get angry at me because some people feel that I'm like, I don't know, um, that it is some sort of like humble brag that I'm doing on purpose. Yeah, I yeah. No, I j just genuinely never get satisfied with anything I do. And it's awful. I wish it wasn't the case. You know, can you imagine if I was just happy with my stuff? Wow, yeah. what a concept. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, even like, um, I don't know, this, this was a problem like even at school when I was a kid, you know, if I got like a 9.5 instead of around 10, you know, I would cry and be like, oh, I didn't get the best grades. I'm, I suck. You know, yeah. I don't know why I'm like that. And, you know, obviously that irritates the people who get like an eight and are happy with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can, I can imagine. Uh, but the same way, like, do like I do have a little sister uh, that she's learning programming right now. And one thing that... Uh, that I realized when she joined the programming area is honestly, I feel that have less women speaking that should be, you know, like there's a lot of great speakers. My favorite programmers actually, most of them, there are you, there are women. And I just didn't know how to say to my sister, like, yeah, you know, just is a bunch of dudes. Uh, and in the same way, I actually, I talk about her, about you actually. And I was, and she actually was like, damn, this, 
you know, like encourages her, like you create like, a, okay, this person is there. This is real. Have you ever felt like the, this influential way that you could, could like, could be given for like woman in tech? Oh no, yeah, definitely having role models is like really important. Like it's really, really, really important. And um, it's something I wish I had more in my career. I mean, there is obviously a lot of people I know in the field that I admire. Um, but I wish I had more in like closer environments, like colleagues that yeah. I, you know, talk to every day or like a boss that manages me, you know, pe people that are in my work environments close to me every day that I can admire and be inspired by. I, I didn't have lots of that. Like I only had like other women programmers in my team for like very brief moments of time during my career. And I never had um boss uh like in programming yeah. who was a woman so in my last company you know it was a small startup um so you know they didn't have a lot of people to begin with but you know i was the first woman to join um in in the software engineering aspect um the company before that um there were other women in my team but uh either they were designers or you know or they were like a project manager you know there were there were women who were programmers who worked in the same team as me eventually but you know they were projects that i didn't stay very long so i was in the project for like six months and then i I quit from that company, then I don't work there anymore. Um, yeah, I very, very rarely in my career I had other people in my team who were also programmers and were women. And I, I sort of missed that. I wish I had more of that. Yeah, I do understand. Lonely. Yeah. I mean, when I joined Spotify, that was my rea reality shock, I would say, because... Uh, I realized that like my team was more women like as programmers than than dudes than guys and I was like then that that was that was the moment that I felt like I mean I always have been okay like like we should bring more women but in the same way that was the moment of reality like I was like okay this is real like uh, I never leave it like that until getting the Spotify so I was just whoa like it's just I mean, I don't like when, for example, is only one type of people like working. Just you need to add the mix, you know, like that is what it's about. Even not only programming, but in life as well. And yeah, it's just I, I remember first time I was like, damn, this is amazing. <laughs> And, you know, it's not just about gender. You know, there's also all sorts of diversity and inclusivity that could be improved as well. Yeah. Um. You know, there there's also like the other dynamics that we go through. So we also have to, um, you know, encounter, you know, the, the immigration. You know, I am an immigrant and I want to, I would prefer to work in teams where there are either people from various countries or some people from my country, some people from other countries. Um, or, you know, it would be hard if I was like the only person who was not from yeah the area then i will be like sort of um excluded or you know it can it can be very hard i have worked in a team um where it wasn't that problematic i was the only one who was not german in the team and it worked well 
in the end, um, in terms of communication, like everyone used English all the time. They never switched back to German when I was there. So it, it worked great. So it wasn't like a problem, but it's still like so homogeneous. It feels yeah. like it's missing something. <laughs> yeah, you feel left left out. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and then there are the things where, you know, it's not a group that I belong to, but I would benefit from, you know, having a diverse environment as well. And there are things that I sometimes don't pay attention to and I, I should, you know, I, that was one time in uh one situation i went through with with some friends it was like very eye-opening you know it's very weird it was me and a group of friends we went to a hackathon right so we we were hitchhiking it was an amazing trip and i i remember we got to the hackathon and after like half an hour one of our friends asked me you look a bit uncomfortable like what's up like i don't know he I don't know what happened, but I don't know. And then I just looked around and I said, I think I'm the only woman in this whole building. Yeah. Ever since we arrived here, I haven't seen another woman. And then one of my friends said, well, I haven't seen another black person either. And I hadn't noticed that, you know, yeah. just as they, the guys didn't notice about um, yeah. not seeing other women. And I hadn't noticed that we also hadn't seen any people who weren't white um so it was like a, a very teaching moment to like all of us you know this was a situation that i'll never forget um it was you know quite a shock and quite important i think i started to do that mentorship i don't know if you look at in the twitter uh i started to do mentorship for black people in brazil and then because i wanted to bring them more for it And like, uh, it's just 10 or 10 or 11 people that I was mentoring got like their first job in IT. And I don't know how to explain this to give me like uh, goosebumps because I feel the same way. Like uh, I'll go for like some conference, you barely see like uh, black folks there. It's just like, yeah, I, I it's just, I don't know. Like it's <laughs> coming from a community in Brazil is just super weird to see, you know? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't come from a community that is majority black. So I was raised in Niterói, which is, you know, <laughs> next to San Gonzalo. I have family in San Gonzalo. Yeah, it's super close, yeah. <laughs> it's super close. Um, but it's just like very mixed, you know? Everyone yeah. is mixed to some degree and you'll see people from all colors in yeah. your street like your neighbors like my neighbors they range from like the whitest white to the blackest black and everything in between and everyone living in the same area and although brazil is very segregated like you'll yeah. see like the very rich neighborhoods they will have like a lot of white people you know you know my middle class neighborhood everyone was sort of mixed and then when you have like some um some communities like in a favela it's mostly black so there is like a big segregation but it's when i when i moved outside of brazil it was like this middle plot disappeared yeah and it was like you either had a place where only people from one group lives Or a place where one people from the other group lives. Like, I don't know. In, in, 
in Berlin, for example, depending on the neighborhoods that you circulate, you can spend all day long, like without seeing one black person at all, the whole day, the whole for weeks. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that there aren't black people in Berlin. In fact, there is a lot, but they are like in a different part of the city. Yeah. Um, Paris is very similar and it's kind of strange because you go through the um, the metro and you kind of know where you are because you see like the color of the people inside the train changing and I'm like this is this was a very weird experience yeah for yeah, me same for because... Stockholm like the center is more like uh, white uh, white white uh, uh, Sweden people. And then you go outside of the center and then you see immigrants, you see black people, you see... Uh, and it's funny because I, I live in, right in the center of Stockholm and then I walk and some people, they look like they look kind of different to me, like, or they stare at me too much. <laughs> yeah, it feels more it feels more segregated here for some reason. I don't know if it's because like this middle part disappears or if it's for some other reason or if I'm just like making things up. I don't know if maybe like my perception... Yeah, it's wrong. Like London is more mixed in this respect than um, what I've seen in other capitals like Paris or Berlin. So London is a bit better in that respect, but still like very different from from Brazil. Yeah, everything is different from Brazil, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Changing the subject, the last subject that I want to talk with you is you you are very active in Lua project in Brazil. Yes. Like how this started? How 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 you got involved in so much with Lua? Like I mean I can't imagine be, because I think you studied in the same university as the I forgot the name of the guy. Uh, uh Roberto? Yes. Yeah, I can imagine that that maybe could be a reason, but how did it start? So that was exactly the reason. But no, I knew <laughs> I knew I knew Lua before because I used to play a game called Ragnarok Online. Yeah. Some of the parts of the game were made in Lua and I ran like a pirate server that was very famous. <laughs> and um that was that was how I learned programming. So it was like making pirates on Ragnarok Online servers. So I, I knew Lua existed, but I didn't know it was Brazilian. Oh like I, had, I had no idea. And then one day, <laughs> years later, when I'm like I'm in university and I just started like information science undergrads right and i'm you know talking to and there was the the taroche right the the um, i don't know i think they call it hazing in english but it, it's not very bad it was just like the thing where they put like the veterans of you know the with the freshmen and you know we went to like a pub crawl or something um so i was talking to people who were like um, way later on in the course as i was and I don't know how Lua came up and people were talking about Lua. And I don't know what I said that maybe ticked someone off or maybe gave away that I didn't know that much about Lua. Uh, I don't remember what I said, but someone interrupted me and said, but you know Lua is made here, right? And I was like, what do you mean here? Like here, here, here? 
And I was like, yeah, here, here. Like, you're going to have classes with the guy who created Lua around, like, your fifth semester or something, like, Roberto Yeruzalenshi. He, uh, he is one of the architects of, of the language, and he's a professor here, and he teaches um, compilers and semantics for programming language design. And I don't remember what else he, he lectures, but... Um, and I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. That's really cool. And I felt like really proud because I was like, oh, you know, look, I am studying in the university where this thing that is used abroad, yeah. you know, I'm I'm studying at a place. I'm going to study with the people who created this thing. Like, that's awesome. Um, You know, I just felt like very, I felt like I had an obligation to learn it after that yeah. you know it's like i'm gonna be a patriot i'm gonna learn more <laughs> <laughs> no i can i can definitely imagine like uh i mean if i was in your situation probably i would do the same yeah we are the underdogs right you know yeah. Brazilians, everything that comes from brazil is bad and everything yeah. that comes from abroad is good you know, it's just like very ingrained in our system, you know, the the, the complexity. Yeah, 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 um, I do understand, yeah. So when I discovered that Lua was Brazilian, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is it, to, yeah, gonna help that, yeah. Yeah, I have to learn this thing. Um, so so that's, that's what I did. So I started learning it to just because I felt like I should. And I actually fell in love with the language. It was so correct. You know, I don't know how to say it. Like, it was, it was an interpreted language. Um, there are things that are interpreted language problems that yeah. are going to happen in Lua. But in the scope of being an interpreted language, when I compared it with other interpreted languages, um, Lua just felt like... Right. Right, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's it's so simple and powerful. Like, you can have the whole... The, my favorite thing about it is that you could have the whole language in your head. Like, you don't have to Google. Like, can yeah. you imagine that? Like, it was... Yeah. That was incredible. That was the best thing about Lua. Um, yeah, the thing that, that most impresses me is that the language is is probably the most portable language as for, uh, popular and portable language that I know. Like, I don't know other language that can do what Lua does as portable like things and being popular as well. Yeah, you can run Lua on a washing machine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like on a microwave, on a, anything, you, it runs Lua. Like, yeah, it's just insane, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty amazing and the, the history why it's like that is pretty cool as well um brazil had like some sort of self-imposed embargo <laughs> like they i don't know at the beginning of like computing like they had like these restrictions of who you could buy computers from and the idea was that um the country could only import computers from companies there were also like um had like technical knowledge being made available. So it's not like I'm just going to transfer you hardware. I'm going to transfer you hardware and know-how, right? So so Brazil was looking to import not only like the the hardware, but also the, the knowledge. So they, they, they had like a, a set of restrictions on who you could make business with because of that. But the problem was that this changed all the time. And 
it was very common that company will have like a very wide range of computers with different architectures. And that was a problem that Lua had to solve, which was working with all of them. Yeah. So yeah. this is why it's that portable, I guess. And that's, yeah, that yeah. is such a good story. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, just such a comfortable, it's comfy, it feels cozy. I like Lua. Um, <laughs> But one one thing with Lua is that it's used in a very invisible way, as in, um, which is maybe because it's such an easy language to to use and learn. You don't actually need to be like a Lua programmer. You know, any person can use Lua. You know, Lua was created to just be able to be used by even like non-programmers. So there isn't such a thing as like a Lua programmer. You know, you are some programmer and you're going to encounter Lua on the wild. You know, so for example... Yeah, it's like shell script, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Feels, I mean, nobody says like I'm a shell script programmer because it, it is like, I mean, it is like uh, they have like uh, Turing things, but it's in the same way it's just like is way simpler than other programming languages. And... You don't say like, okay, I code in shell script. And is I can't imagine that maybe it's the same thing, right? Yeah, in that respect, yes. I mean, there are many differences between Lua yeah, and yeah, yeah. as, as a language. Yeah. But in but in, in that respect of of you know, as just being a, a tool that you're gonna encounter at some point, yeah, that's exactly something that happens with, with Lua. So you don't really like find job opportunities for it. It just like it just sort of happens and you use Lua in your job if you have to. So there were some machine learning frameworks that use Lua because of the speed. Um, there are some gaming frameworks that use Lua because it's it's easy to use and because of the performance as well. So um, gaming yeah. is an industry that is you know really focused on performance. So in that respect, Lua is is, is a great tool. Um, but yeah, it's just something that if you need to use it, then you learn it and use it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Actually, I had to learn uh, some stuff about because I needed to use like in the very. Yeah, I think that I had a really specific case that I I needed Lua for be there. It could not be JavaScript or, or other thing. But then I decided to write my computer language <laughs> instead of use Lua. I thought that was like a good challenge, a programming challenge. Uh, uh, but it actually yeah, I should have used Lua took way more time, but. Uh, it was really good, like, uh, challenge. Yeah, there are many use cases where Lua is, is perfect. Yeah, it but is. Yeah. that is also frequently the use case where people are going to have fun reinventing the wheel. <laughs> so <laughs> it's complicated. Um, yeah. yeah. Especially in terms of, like, configuration language, for example. Um, Lua, Lua is great for that as well. Yeah. Well, I think we run out of time. But I really appreciate that you have you here. Like, uh, I really liked the conversation. Same, like, thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm really proud of you. Like, that's that's amazing. Um, nah, I, I am, like, I'm just happy that, like, after everything, like, we were able to talk and stuff like that. I mean, you really were 
R is still my one of my references. Oh, you're gonna make me blush. <laughs> Thank you for being here.